0: Welcome to Work and the Future, a podcast about tomorrow with your host, Linda Nazareth. Well, hello, and thank you for joining us today. We've talked a lot about remote work lately on this podcast, but also just in general. Now, a lot of the debate has been around whether it should exist or not, but the reality now is that it does exist. And in many organizations, we're just not going to be dialing back the clock and saying in-person work is going to happen again. This is where we are. So given that reality, how do you create a team that's connected to each other? And how do you create a culture? It's something that, yes, we discussed early in the pandemic, but that was because there was no choice but to do it. Now that there is a choice, what does that change? Do we have different best practices? Have we learned anything over the last couple of years? Well, my guest today is living the reality of creating a connected remote team. His name is Ken Babcock, and he's the CEO and co-founder of Tango. That's a browser and desktop application system that automatically generates how-to guides. He leads a fully remote team of 30 people, including a couple overseas, and he's come up with some strategies and best practices to build connection and culture in that environment. I had a great conversation with Ken. Please stay with us to hear it. Well, how can you build connection and culture when you're leading a remote team? To talk about that, I'm joined by Ken Babcock. He's CEO and co-founder of Tango. Hi, Ken.
1: Hey, Linda. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, thanks for being here. There's a lot to talk about when we're talking about remote work. I've talked about it quite a bit on the podcast, but this is a different time, I think, to be talking about it. But before we even get there, tell me a little bit about yourself and your own career and how you ended up leading this team.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, for me, I'm originally from upstate New York, uh, went to college in upstate New York, started my career in consulting, um, and then had a really transformative opportunity to join Uber in 2014. So, um, kind of in our growth at all costs phase, um, saw a lot of highs, a lot of lows of that company. Um, but one thing that was really powerful was just the culture that we had around playbooking and documentation and tactics and how that helped us scale. So, you know, Uber at one point um, was in, you know, we were in 180 markets and we would eventually scale to 650. A lot of those we had to hire local talent, open offices. And so, you know, Uber in a lot of ways was the original highly distributed (laughs) company. And so we had to make sure that our, you know, our documentation was super solid. And so I joined a team that was focused on, making those playbooks accessible, validating them, applying them to new markets, figuring out what would be a good fit. Um, I stayed there for about four and a half years. Um, but after that, you know, knew just from the entrepreneurial culture that existed at Uber, that that's the path that I wanted to go. So every decision after that was really, you know, how do I prepare myself to become an entrepreneur? And, um, going to Harvard business school was actually a a big one for me, you know, mainly to expose myself to other areas of business, potentially meet my co-founders, which I ended up doing, um, and and hopefully starting a company. So taking a step back, taking that sort of professional break, and and really thinking about what I wanted to build. And so with Tango, you know, a lot of it was myself and my co-founder Brian and Dan. We were you know talking about ideas and what made us. Um, excited about the opportunity in the market. And it was really, you know, this focus on, you know, how do teams succeed? You know, why does one team more successful than another? And what makes high performers versus low performers? And what we came back to was that topic of documentation, you know, that thing that I had experienced directly at Uber. And so um, with Tango, you know, our focus is really making documentation creation passive in the flow of work. You go through your process, you use the tools you use, um, and we create the step-by-step tutorial complete with screenshots, descriptions, URLs. We do that for you automatically. And so uh, we started that in the pandemic. Um, The tool obviously itself is very conducive to remote and distributed teams and knowledge transfer. But I would say, you know, more so for us, um, what we saw with companies was that, the pandemic was really exposing a lot of these issues that they already had around knowledge transfer, and so we dropped out of Harvard Business School to start Tango. And, and since we've grown the, the team to to thirty, um, and you know we've got two hundred thousand users from some really awesome companies using Tango.
0: Okay, I was going to ask you why you decided to go with the fully remote team, but I think you answered that it was during the pandemic. Uh, if it hadn't been a pandemic, would your choice have been to have people together or did you always intend to do this?
1: No, I, ne- I never intended to do this, um, mainly because you know the, the office environments that I worked in were always really high energy and really vibrant. You know, I think when I joined uh, or maybe even before I joined Uber, you know, when I went San Francisco, I was living in New York at the time when I went to San Francisco, stepped in the office, and had that final round interview. That was the moment where I was like, "I have to find a way to work here." I mean the energy was just palpable, and so I would not have imagined that I would have started a remote company, but now, with the benefit of hindsight, uh it's been tremendous for Tango. I mean, we've had access to talent that we wouldn't have otherwise had um and, you know, we've brought a team together with a bunch of different backgrounds, perspectives, experiences. And so, um, although it wasn't what I intended, I think we ended up, you know, we ended up on the on the on the positive side of, of what can happen when you have a remote
0: team. So, okay, you were looking for talent and you had a product to develop and lots of priorities. Was it a priority to create a culture and think about communications or did you just kind of realize you had to do it as you went along? Because I'm interested, was this a strategy for a lot of organizations or has it been accidental?
1: I think it was a strategy for us. I mean, some of it we fell into, but I do think it was a strategy mainly because when you're so early stage and you're trying to convince people to become part of something that's unproven, undeveloped, And really only has the credibility of like the founders and maybe a little bit of seed funding, but leaning on that, I mean, it's, it becomes really hard to sell people on an opportunity, but one thing that we knew we could create without necessarily an engineering team or um, without a lot of headcount was what we wanted the culture to be like and what we wanted it to look like when we look out one, two, five years. Um, And so we made that investment early in setting our core values, making sure that our operating cadence was solid and that the systems and tools that we were using um, gave people visibility and not just overhead. And so I think that that investment has paid off because it also informed what our interview process would look like, what our onboarding would look like, what our performance management would look like, leaning on those values. So um, I also wanted to do that just because Uber is as energetic and generational as that company was screwed up culture in a big way (laughs) and everyone knows that story and so you know you know when i knew that i wanted to start a company i i I took a lot of good things from uber you know here's here's what to do when you create a high growth company but i also took a lot of here's what not to do Mm -hmm. um when building your culture
0: well let's talk about how you do this you mentioned onboarding how do you onboard when you're remote
1: yeah so we use um we use a bunch of different tools, but you know, I think for us, um, it's been about making sure there's still that connectivity. You know, automating onboarding is not necessarily something we want to do. You know, if someone doesn't join on a Monday and then everything's self serve for that whole week. You know, you don't necessarily want that. You still want that connectivity to the team, and so we have a lot of our just like, hey, here's the process of onboarding. That lives in Notion. We actually use a lot of the, the Tango product to communicate, hey, here's how you get access to this, or here's how to navigate this tool to get, you know, to see this type of data. So we use Tango to do that. Um, but it all kind of lives in Notion. People are able to go go about that at their leisure. Um, but built into that, you know, we also have onboarding buddies. There's automatically a Slack channel that gets created with you and your onboarding buddies. So you can ask any questions. Um, the team is encouraged to set up, you know, welcome one-on-ones with you. Uh, I think that's really powerful. And then, you know, probably our favorite element of the onboarding process, we actually had one today during our all-hands meeting. Um, New hires present their uh, bio and user manual to the rest of the team. And so the bio is pretty fun. We have questions like, where would you go in a zombie apocalypse? What are... (laughs) Three brands you'd be a spokesperson for. Um, just helping like break down some barriers and get to know people, finding some commonalities within the team, you know, that the Zoom chat is always blowing up when those are happening. Oh, me too. Like, oh yeah, that ice cream flavor is my favorite as well. Like it's it's cool. It, it makes people feel part of a community. And then the user manual, which I think is also really important, is about how do, how do you want, like, how do you want to receive feedback? How do you work best? What are your hours? What things might impact your schedule? Um, how do you prefer people to reach out to you? And that really is like, you know, the, the way that the rest of the team will interact with you at Tango. Um, and so I'm referencing user manuals constantly. You know, If I'm reaching out to someone and you know maybe I have feedback on something that they're working on or I have an idea that I want them to, to think through, I'll go to the user manual first. And make sure that like, oh, you know, am I respecting some of these boundaries? Am I communicating in the right way? So much can get lost in a remote company just through all these communication tools. Inflection doesn't come through. Tone of voice doesn't come through. Um, Sarcasm doesn't come through. And so, you know, making sure that you're communicating appropriately and in the way that people like to be communicated with, like that's... That's really important. So I know there's a lot, but our onboarding process is super thorough.
0: Okay, that's interesting. What's really interesting is this term you use, dog fooding. I've never heard that before, Ken. What is that?
1: Yeah, so dog fooding, um, it might be a little bit of a a niche term, but the idea is uh, you know, <laughs> it comes from, you know, you eat your own dog food, or the idea that like if you're if you're making something you should be testing it as well. You should sort of adopt the persona of the end user that you're building for, to make sure that your product um, meets the expectations of that user. And so we'll set up routine that we call them like either dog food days or dog food time where we're trying our own dog food. And we're saying, okay, does this, does this work as expected? Are there bugs? Are there little things about the user experience of Tango that we can fix? And so internally in the team, we do that, you know, ahead of like a big release, but people are also using Tango constantly. That's what's one, th- one thing that's really cool about building a product that has such universal applicability is that, you know, your own team can use it a ton too. And that makes the product better.
0: That's interesting. You know, the knowledge part of this to me is a gap when you talk about remote work. Because when I've worked places where I've thought it's really successful to be there as a team, it's because the person in the next office knows a lot of things or the person down the hall knows a lot of things and I can go to them easily. Now, you can do some of this remotely, but I mean, there are companies that do it better and companies that do it worse. What do you think are the best practices around sharing knowledge?
1: Yes, I think, so this is one of our, um communication norms in separate from like our team values we have a we have a set of norms for just how everyone broadly should communicate i think the user manual adds a layer of nuance to that but um the one that i think is most important is assume low context i think just given you know we're a 30 person team now um not everyone is going to have all the context you know people are going to be coming from you know, maybe the context that they have that's informing the way that they feel. And so laying that out in written communication, I think is really powerful. Um, you can't assume that everyone has the same context. It's impossible to keep up with every Slack channel, every single email, be in every meeting. And so that's that's one of the reminders that we, that we put out to the team. I think another piece around knowledge sharing um, and how we do it, um, you know, we definitely take advantage of the time that we do have in person, too. So, you know, we are, yes, we are fully remote, 30 people across 15 states, but we do off-sites three times a year. Um, and we'll do sort of smaller functional get-togethers in addition to that. And that allows us to, you know, kind of find those those areas of maybe misalignment or misunderstanding and kind of work through those in person which ends up being a lot faster. So um, that one might be a little bit of a crutch, but I do think that that in-person element, even if it's only three times a year, I think that's that's really critical for remote teams too.
0: That's an interesting thing. I was going to ask you about that. So you do that, you bring everyone together. Obviously that's an expensive thing to do, right? But you see the value in it.
1: Yeah, you know what's more expensive is uh, office space in a tier one market. <laughs> so, that is very true. <laughs> yeah, um, no, I mean, the way we do it, it's... It's, you know, it's not like a blowout party. Um, it's, you know, we find a, a reasonable central place to meet where we can maybe, you know, get office space either through an investor or through our co-working membership. Um, and so, you know, we try to keep costs down, but, uh, you know, I think it, it allows us to take some of those savings that we, you know, maybe would have on, on an office Spend it on stuff that's really worthwhile, you know, building relationships, building understanding, building empathy for each other. um, That's all sort of priceless.
0: In the meantime, you do have to have the teleconference meetings, right? And I was surprised when we first went to a remote world that people were spending all day in meetings. I didn't realize people met all day, but it seemed like they did. Uh, Have you changed your views on this? I mean, do you do it a lot or do do you have a policy around it?
1: We have a we have a no meeting Thursday, and so inevitably, you know, meetings w- will still happen. They just won't happen on Thursday. I think it's I think it's so critical that people have time for you know what we call like deep work, or the ability to focus on something. Um, it's really challenging in today's day and age, where you know people are seemingly always available because they're either working from home or um, you know they make themselves available or you can see their Google calendar. And so you see an open slot and you say, oh, well that's available time, I'll, I'll go book it. Um, I think it's really important to make sure you're still carving out larger blocks of time so that you can work on you know more strategic projects. So that's what we do with our no meeting Thursday. We literally do not allow internal meetings. Obviously some folks, myself, maybe, you, know, my co-founders, uh, Colby, our sales lead. You know, it's it's harder to maintain that no meeting Thursday, but um, it's really valuable for the rest of the team.
0: That's interesting. Okay, so I, I assume that's one of the things you've kind of learned over the last couple of years. What else have you learned?
1: Yeah, um, man, we've learned a lot. So where to begin? You know, I think um, I think you know one one other thing about remote work that we've learned is uh, you know I'm lucky in that. I have, I have a, a home, I live in the suburbs, this is my home office that I'm talking to you from. Um, and, you know, it's it's pretty distant from kind of the rest of the house. And, and so I can come down here and I can work and, and be efficient and not have distractions. That's not the case for everybody. You know, some people have roommates, some people are in a small one bedroom apartment where their partner is also working remotely. Some people have dogs. Some people have kids at home, um, and you know that presents a whole different set of challenges that are you know maybe unique to that person. And so, we initiated actually a co-working benefit for our team, um, so that if they needed to get out of their one-bedroom or apartment, or you know away from their roommates, they can actually go book a space in a co-working office. Mm-hmm. So the the membership is called Desk Pass. It's awesome. They have. Co-working spaces across the country in every major city, and even though we have you know people in 15 states, I would say probably 90 percent of our team has a desk pass location near them, and so that's a big thing too. And you know, I use it just to switch things up. You know, even though my office is conducive to being able to do this and meet with you and meet with a bunch of people, um, I sometimes just decide, oh, you know what, I'm going to go downtown. I'm going to go work out of a co-working space. Adds a little variety and. Um, you know, it allows people to kind of distance themselves or at least put some distance between home and work.
0: So you're fully remote. Are you ever tempted to go hybrid or think about a world where people maybe come in all the time? Or is this it?
1: Yeah, I think it would, I mean, I think it would be naive to say I have the right answer here because, you know, different challenges have presented themselves at different sizes and stages of the company. Um, you know, what works now for 30 people might not work for 50 people. And, um, you know, who's to say that if like we end up hiring a concentrated geographically like group of people, like maybe we have an office for them just to get together. So I can't say definitively. Um, I will say, you know, the things that I've appreciated about remote work is the flexibility that it offers people. Um, And how they can kind of, you know, prioritize their life in addition to work and not, you know, not having one necessarily stack ranked above the other. Uh, And then the other thing that I mentioned even earlier on the podcast, the access to talent. I mean, we have amazing people on the team that live in, you know, what you maybe would traditionally not consider a tech hub. Um, but they've had relevant experience. They've made a choice in their life to live somewhere that's, you know, maybe away from those hubs, which they should be able to do. And, you know, then and, and now they're working with us. And so that type of opportunity, when we hire people like that, that's always the the validation that, you know, going this path, being remote, it can be really powerful. Let's
0: see how it. It all goes for everybody, for you and for uh, organizations. I think we're still pretty early in this. Ken, thank you so much for talking to me.
1: Thanks Linda, thanks for having me.
0: Ken Babcock is the CEO and co-founder of Tango. Well, that's it for today. If you'd like to know more about Ken and his company, please take a look at our show notes. You'll find some links there. If you'd like to connect with me, I'm on Twitter at @RelentlessEco. Relentless Eco. Now, if you did like this conversation about work and the future of work, please take a moment, leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. That will help people to find us and that will really help these conversations to keep going. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks as always to Stokely Audio for audio production. To learn more about work and the future and to see show notes, go to the work Podcast.com. You can also contact us at comments at the com. The Work and the Future Podcast with Linda Nazareth is a relentless economics production.